Hi, this is Ken Butcher. We are at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore at the Ice Cream Mall today, and I have Kimberly Yokel with me, and she's got a new book out called Fly Baby, and before that she had one out called The Aviatrix. And the first thing I'm going to ask you, uh, well, first of all, thanks for coming. Thanks for doing this. And secondly, tell us about your latest book. Ken, thanks. thank you so much for having me here and allowing me to talk about uh, Fly Baby. So Fly Baby, the story of an American girl, is my memoir um, about uh, growing up as uh, a young little ski, talented ski racer. I'm a twin. So my sister and I um, were, were trained and skilled to be ski racers. Our dad was our coach. He's an Austrian, uh, born and raised in Austria and came over to the States in the 60s. And anyway, so he, he raised us to be... Um, athletes, um, ski racers specifically, and we uh, became proficient and very skilled at ski racing and eventually um, became members of the U.S. ski team. And um, Fly Baby talks about uh, what it's like to be a ski racer, to be on the U.S. ski team, to travel and compete for your country on a world level. Um, It talks a lot about injuries, what it's like for girls to to travel and grow up together on the world stage. and uh, from there, I talk about uh, some successes and some failures. Um, eventually, s- uh, athletics and skiing don't last forever, so the real world comes. And so I, I um, write about going to college, getting married, getting a job, basically existing as a civilian because the, the earlier part of my my living was uh, on the U.S. ski team, so it was a very sheltered but spectacular and um, worldly type of, li- of, of life. Um, so, so once we, we all, us as athletes, um, quit and retire from competitive athletics, competitive skiing, we have to eventually uh, matriculate into normal society. So I talk a lot about that and then what my life has become and has evolved since then. Sounds interesting. So I got like a million questions that just just that that brings up. This is, uh, but first of all, who would you say is the audience for this book? Who's the ideal person that would like to read this book? That's a very hard question. Um, when I wrote Fly Baby, it, it actually um, came out of writing the Aviatrix, and the Aviatrix is my first book, which is my journey to earning a private pilot's license. And I had never been a writer before. Um, I kept a journal all, uh, most of my young life while I was a member of the U.S. ski team. So I did writing for myself. My job requires me to write a lot of press releases and text and so forth. So I, um, I never considered myself a writer until I started writing The Aviatrix. So I wrote The Aviatrix. Um, originally, that story was put on paper uh, because I was petrified to fly. So after every lesson of uh, learning to fly, I would drive home and write my emotions and my feelings. So so when you say you were uh, afraid to fly, does that mean like in a commercial plane? No, not necessarily in a commercial plane because I had done that most of my life in order to compete. Um, but my husband is a um, commercial pro- a pilot, and um, we've I always flew with him in, in in our twin engine airplane over time i became frightened petrified to the point where i didn't want to get in the plane anymore i wanted to take a commercial plane or drive and then when weather showed up that was even more dramatic for me and very uh um 
horrifying. So I, I decided to, to get my private pilot's license to try to overcome that fear, or at least manage the fear. I realize I've, I'm I still, I don't, I haven't overcome the, come the fear of flying in small airplanes, but I'm managing it. I'm managing it well. Because when you learn, when you're, you're the pilot, you're distracted to be, to, to executing uh, all the procedures in order to, to fly the airplane. So anyway, back to the original question is... Um, the, the audience, who are you writing this for? Right, so originally, um, when I wrote The Aviatrix, there was no audience. I, I, I came to the conclusion that what I wrote down... Uh, after every lesson of flying was therapy for me. It was a way to write down how I felt and sort of release it and uh, be able to cope and manage and get to the next lesson, which was a few days later. So as I, as I continued to write about uh, my feelings and my emotions after every uh, flight lesson, um, I really began to enjoy it. It became therapeutic. It became a, 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 a fun distraction. It, it became a hobby, I guess, or, or something I enjoyed doing. And as I was writing about the aviatrix and all of those experiences, uh, I started to write about my life, fun stories that my parents would always tell about us. And that just evolved into really Fly Baby, a memoir. Um, so I never had an audience in mind, I guess I was just putting it on paper to say, okay, I've, I've written my life's experiences down. Let's put it on a shelf or I can share it with my daughter or some family member. So, I, you know, the question is, I don't know who the audience is. The audience is starting to show itself to me, I, I guess. Well, what occurs to me is, you know, it's going to be, well, it's going to be an interesting book for a lot of different people. The ones that come to my mind are young, young women, young girls and women, especially the ones that are interested in sports. Here's a, here's a story of a, a life that was lived like that. So listen, I, I got a lot of questions for you here. First of all, I'm looking at the cover of the book, and I saw on your website some pictures of you as a little kid, all bundled up, your skis on. So t- what is that? What Just day to day, what was it like? You grew up in New England, I believe. So did you live right on the ski slopes and practice every day, or how did that work? We did not live near the ski slopes. We lived uh, probably 15 minutes away, and we would always um, go and ski every weekend and often at night at a little tiny ski area called Bosque Ski Area. Uh, oftentimes we'd go also to, there's probably five or six ski areas in western Massachusetts, so there's Jiminy Peak and Butternut Ski Area and Otis Ridge, all these little tiny jewels of ski areas uh, across western Massachusetts. And as I mentioned, my dad is from Austria, um, and he's also a very good skier, not a competitor, but an athlete himself, a gymnast and a, and a, um, a skier. And uh, he, he just was a very athletic person. So he would take us to do uh, anything athletic, soccer. It didn't matter that we were girls. We, we were just going to play sports. And um, so, so we did grow up um, on the ski slopes. Mom, our mom would always bundle us up, make sure we were warm and toasty, and then out the door we went with our dad to, to the ski mountain. And was, and was that just fun, or were you working on things? Or were you, was your dad kind of pushing you to excellence, or was it, were you, in your mind, were you just going out and having a good time? I think it certainly was a combination of both. Early on, it was just fun. We're going to go to the ski slopes. We're going to uh, ride the chairlift, bundle up, um, 
drink hot chocolate. But later on, um, you know, maybe 10, 12 years old, my dad realized we were very good athletes in everything we did. And being a twin, we're, um, we're competitive. Twins, uh, I don't know if all twins are, but my sister and I, Krista, we're always not trying to beat each other, but be as good as the other. Um, so from that point, perspective my dad pushed us because he knew we were we were good and we had a talent we had a talent for athletics and in fly baby i talk about how we evolved to to become and enjoy and drive and uh push to be really good athletes um our my our dad sat us down one day and said you know you you two are really good athletes you're you're natural you're talented you have a lot of devotion and dedication to what you do um and you can be really good at a sport. So choose one, and we're going to work really hard at it and see um, how, how, how good you can really be. So what other sports did you participate in? Everything. Um, running races, bicycle races, community swim meets. Um, we were on soccer teams. We were on basketball teams. Um, we, Chris and I specifically wanted to play baseball. And my dad wasn't too thrilled about that because, uh, as a European, you're 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 always thinking European sports are better. So my dad wasn't too supportive of baseball um, or basketball. But my mom is an American, and she uh, put her foot down and said, "If those girls want to play baseball or basketball, or even take ballet, which we did that too," she said, "They're going to do it, and we're going to, you know, uh, uh, give them the opportunity to do that those sports as well." So so fast forward a little bit, you're a little bit older, and when did you actually get, get onto the U.S. team? Or how, how do you get onto the U.S. team? I do um, catalog that pretty specifically in Fly Baby. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a, from this day to the next day you become uh, a member of a national team. It, it starts when you're young, like with my dad. He would take us out and bundle us up and, and, and take us out in the yard and we'd ski out in the yard just to begin with. So it's a, it's a process. It's a dedication. It's, it's a lot of elements that come together to, to allow you to become a, a good skilled athlete. And then you go in local competitions and from local competitions, um, there's more statewide competitions and then regional competitions, um, and then more national competitions. So, uh, as we entered these different competitions, we did well. We always placed in the top three of, of every competition, and oftentimes we'd beat the boys. Um, and so you'd, you you continue to uh, enter events at a higher level and a higher level. And at, at a point, you, you, you become recognized within the sport that you are participating in because every, every national team in any sport wants the best athletes to represent their country. So with ski racing, there's regions all across the country uh, where there's clubs and organizations um, that monitor and, and pay attention to, to talented, youthful ski racers. And there's a, a national ranking system as well. With When you race in a race, you are awarded points, and you, you establish a national ranking and then eventually a world ranking. So it's a process, and it's a, a system that's set up where you it's easy. It's, if you're a good athlete, it's easy. So how old were you when you actually made the team? Uh, my sister and I were uh, 
15, about 16 years old when we were members, became official members of the U.S. ski team. And how did, how did that work at that point? Are you, I mean, how did the practices work and what, what happened then? Uh, you become, when I was on the U.S. ski team, things have changed now, but when, when I was a member of the U.S. ski team, once you were named as a C team or better athlete, you're taken care of. You're kind of swooped up by the organization and everything is paid for. Your schedule is made for you. What competitions you're going to do are, are, are determined and planned out. The training is um, determined. There's there Every two weeks uh, during the off-season, there was either a dry land camp or a ski, uh, an on-snow camp. Um, so you just become part of a a community within the within life, I, I suppose. So t- tell me about some of the people you met, like first off on the team, good, good and bad. There is a story in the book about the the very first ski training camp that we were invited to as members of the U.S. ski team, and it was at Killington, Vermont, and there was probably, I don't know, 50 or 60 girls there. Uh, we were all about 15 or 16 years old, and I just remember sort of being intimidated because there were so many girls there. It was a big mountain. It was in Vermont. Um, there were several U.S. ski team coaches there who were adorned and decorated with U.S. ski team uniforms and USA written all over them, so I was pretty intimidated. Um, but then once we got out on the hill and we were separated into groups and I saw the other girls ski and I skied myself and saw my sister ski, I, 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 I'm pretty sure I thought to myself, um, you know, I belong here and my sister belong. We both belong here where nobody looks outstandingly or way better than, than us. Um, so I began to feel comfortable and, um, and liked being there. So give me the name of someone that you really liked when you first met him there. Being a twin, you know, I have to be fair. As a twin, you're you're a little unit. So you don't we didn't really venture out to um to making a lot of friends because we were our each of us were each other's best friend. Um but I remember some of the girls that eventually we became we all became teammates and members of the U.S. ski team. Uh, there was Sally Knight. There was Gibson LaFountain. There was Tannis Hunt. There was another girl, Heidi Volker, who raced with us and competed with us um, starting out at Bosque, at that, that little ski area. I'm trying to think of, of other, other names. You know, that, it's hard to name people. So, so did you – I'm going to show you how much I know about skiing, which is nothing here. Did you ever meet Peekaboo Streets? Yes, Peekaboo was a was during my time, and we were very good friends. We roomed quite a bit. Um, at the point where she started to take off and become uh, uh, successful, I was injured and was sort of on the the opposite track she was on. Um, so I did have um, relations, and um, and we were teammates. Peek and I were teammates. I just the re- that name always stuck in my head. I just always thought that was the coolest name. And I remember. You know, during the Olympics, I remember her being interviewed, and she just seemed like a really cool person. Was she in person? She, she has a lot of energy. Very independent girl, um, and very successful. Dial back and remember, what is one of the most exhilarating moments of your ski racing career? Yeah, as an athlete, um, winning is always exhilarating of course um so so if if i'm going to be specific about one of the most exhilarating um, accomplishments i had in ski racing it was when i won the junior world championships in um in alaska 
and that was very emotional because, you know, I stood at the finish maybe 10 minutes after I realized I had won. And I, I just stood there and I thought, today I'm, I'm the best in the world. And, and that's kind of, that's like throws you over a little bit. Yeah, it's it sort of throws you over, and uh, it's like you're outside of yourself. Like, who is this person? I mean, am I really that? Uh, so that was exhilarating. But um, to share the emotions of actually ski racing down a hill at 40 miles an hour or and then making the perfect turns, turn after turn after turn, that's exhilarating. And so when you have that in a training run or in a ski race, um, that's exhilarating more more than more so than standing at the finish line and, and realizing you've won again the, the the cliche of the journey is what's most important rather than reaching the goal and in this case it, it is true it's it, it is so exhilarating to stand at the top of a a ski hill and one one of the, another one of the most exhilarating uh, experiences i had one of the first ones actually it's back to my very first World Cup race, which was in Park City, Utah. And I'm, I talk about that in, the, in Fly Baby as well. When I stood at the top of the, um, the mountain in the start house, there probably were you know, 10, 15,000 people at the bottom of, the, of the, the race hill. And I was probably 16, 17 years old. And all I could feel and hear and see were the vibrations and the noises of of the crowd roaring for an American, you know, for me. And I, so I stood in the, in the start house and I, I'm like, Oh my, Oh my God, this, they're cheering for me, for just me. And that, that sort of was a, an incredible distraction for, for a little 16 year old who's competing in her very first world cup race. So that's exhilarating. You see, there are so many exhilarating moments, um, in ski racing or in my, uh, ski racing career. That's fantastic. That must've been just amazing seeing all those people and, and, and did it get right in your head right at right away that it, they were there for you? Well, of course they're there for everyone. And, and as uh, my first World Cup, I was pretty far in the back in the pack, um, so I wasn't really expected to to do real well. Just get to the bottom and f- see where you stand. Um, but it was yeah, it was it was exhilarating. And when I stood in the start, uh, it's also important to know that. At that point, I, I was also expected to perform. So when you're hit with all these distractions and of, of emotion, of people cheering for you, you've got to really pull yourself together mentally and realize you're there to perform. You've got to tune out these distractions and, and do your job, do what you're supposed to do, what, do what you're expected to do. So you mentioned a little bit about the sensation of going down that hill at 40 miles an hour, hitting turns and stuff. I always wondered, uh, not being a skier myself, how much can you actually consciously think about a turn or something you're going to have to execute, and how much of it is just you're reacting to it? It's certainly a combination of all of those things. Um, as an athlete, you, you practice and practice and practice, so things are, they become repetitive, and re- repetition makes things uh, automatic. Um, but athletes at that level have an incredible talent. So the talent combined with repetition and practice, um, some of it, some, when you're ski racing, some of it is automatic, some of it is um, intellectual, where you think about it. Um, 
But I think for me, when I stood in the start gate, I would always, uh, you know, give myself a little pep talk very and use very few words. I would, you know, talk, tell my, use three separate words that would, in, would inspire me um, in each uh, level of where I needed to be because I wasn't always skiing the best or I wasn't always skiing the same. My technique always needed work and you're always trying to fine tune things. Um, so the, the words of encouragement that I would pick out would always change, um, at certain points of where I, I was with, with how I felt, uh, in my ski racing. Give me an example. You're in the gate and what are you, what are the three words you're saying to yourself? Um, I think, you know, confidence was, was one of the words I always used. Um, and sometimes some technical words that would help me, um, uh, um, instill in my brain to make sure that I would, was skiing technically correct. So I, I have to think about that. I have to think about those words. (laughs) Okay. Now, so that's sort of the top. Tell us a little bit about the some of the low points so certainly there's a lot of low points um but but uh you know we always don't perform perfectly you know when you watch the olympics or you watch world world cup um competition uh, people don't perform they fall or they uh crash or they ski out so uh some one of the crashes that i took um was was brutal. Um, it was a downhill competition I was in. So there's several disciplines within ski racing. Downhill is where you actually go 60 to 70 to 80 miles an hour, depending on the course. And I wasn't very good at the downhill discipline. I was good in all others. But um, so I was young and in a downhill competition. And I can remember um, there were three jumps. And I couldn't remember exactly where the jumps were, but they were right, you know, smack right after the other. And I went over the first jump completely uh, miscalculated that, landed on the top of the second jump, which launched me comp- way up in the air, landing me on the um, the third jump where that completely launched me, um, where I was basically windmilling my arms, hoping that I could get my, uh, my body back to forward motion. And, you know, eventually I crashed, broke my skis, bruised my, I didn't break anything other than bruising my shin. And uh, I I mean, I came out of it pretty well for the, the, the extreme craziness of the crash. Um, so, so crashing is never fun, but I learned to crash well, so I, I didn't um, break anything. Fortunately, in my ski racing career, I didn't break any bones, but I did have uh, several knee injuries where I tore ligaments and tendons and had to have reconstructive knee surgery. And so, uh, and I just heard a quote the other day or a commentator saying, you know, you don't get to the podium of a World Cup or the uh, podium of the Olympics um, without going through the OR, which is completely true. I think most athletes who reach the uh, podium of, of the Olympics in the World Cup, um, they've probably all had some kind of surgery or have gone through the OR to have something repaired. Um, and you don't hear much about that. And it is a real down and a real difficult time for athletes to 
to be out for a season because they're recuperating and they're recovering from a knee surgery where their knees have been completely reconstructed. Um, so they're, they're really, those times are, are very difficult. And I do talk about that in Fly Baby, about the trauma and the mental anguish that you go through um, while everybody else is ski racing. And, you know, you're just trying to get your knee to bend. You're just trying to get the swelling to go down. You're just trying to sleep at night. Um, the pain is throbbing. Uh, so it, I, I do very candidly discuss what it's like um, when we're not on the stage, when we're, you know, in the hospital recovery room. So let me shift gears a little bit. We have a lot of writers that listen to this podcast. So I want to ask you about a little bit about your writing process. You also already mentioned a little bit that your first book, you started from a journal. So talk about journaling. Do you journal right after your experience or do you do it at the same time every day? And then how did you go about translating that into a book? Like I mentioned, I journaled when I was younger, when I was traveling. I don't journal anymore because um, life is just way too busy. Um, instead, I, I just write it write write things down and then go back and edit it. Um, but my, like I said, my writing, um, of recently came out of therapy, trying to cope with the, the, uh, commitment I made to becoming a pilot and, uh, and learning, learning all of that. So now i I feel as though my writing, um, I, I'm just inspired by wanting to put on paper, uh, dramatic and exciting experiences within my life. And, um, I do, I've always read a whole lot. Um, I, I love to read and, um, I think most authors, I hear them say what you can do to become a better writer is to write a lot and read a lot. And, um, there are some books that the prose and the way the words come together and the sentences are structured and um, the paragraphs and the transitions. When you when I read some books where I really see the talent of a writer coming out, I'm engrossed and enthralled in that book, and I want to go back and rewrite my book to to be as um, descriptive and enticing as as that book. So um, my process isn't very disciplined, which is kind of crazy because as an athlete, I mean, all my life, it was about discipline and repetition and structure. My writing is, is very free. It, I have no real goal or intention, um, or I don't, you know, I don't even have another book that I, 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 I've inspired to write. It's just so open and, and free and flowing. So do you think you'll do more writing in the future? I definitely will do more writing. Um, I don't know how, what I'll write or what what form I'll write, but I, I, I really enjoy writing. Okay. So uh, before we let you go here, I definitely want to find out um, how do people follow what you're doing. You have a website? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, so it's KimberlyYokel.com, and that's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y-J-O-C-H-L.com is my website. So there's a page about the Aviatrix, a page about Fly Baby, and then also a page of um, news and appearances and different press releases that have gone out, different podcasts I've done, um, and interviews, radio interviews. Uh, what else? And then there's just a homepage about, about me, and then also you can sign up for future press releases and also email me directly. I love to hear from readers. I get so many fun and um, encouraging emails from people about Flybaby and the Aviatrix and that uh, that's a joy in itself. 
Right. Well, thank you very much. These seem like really interesting and even inspiring books. And best of luck with those and best of luck with everything. Thank you so much, Ken. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Kim Yokel and to the Barnes & Noble Bookstore at the Asheville Mall. To hear other episodes or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at themiddleoftheair.com. 